He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munson's. Want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. We will start this time with James. Just getting pumped uh, for the holiday season coming up here. I hosted Thanksgiving with my in-laws and we survived through it. So I'm pumped to see if I can make it through the next one. We're just going to take it one holiday at a time. That's all you can do, one holiday at a time. Well, Case, you're up next. Tell us about how you're handling one holiday at a time. I mean, I've had holiday anxiety for three weeks now, but what I really wanted to talk about was this. I was listening to with an interview with director Sean Baker, oh, yeah? who is promoting his new movie, Red Rocket. You guys know who Sean Baker is, right? Yeah, he did uh, Florida, Florida Project. Project. Florida Project, yep. yeah. That guy, okay. Yeah, man, I'm thinking to myself... This dude's a blast, and, and he'd be so fun to sit around and talk about movies with, because he's telling stories about all sorts of stuff. And then one of the hosts asked him, like, hey, man, you know, you've, you're really on top of the game in terms of independent movies. Would you ever want to do a big studio film? And he says, you know what franchise I'd like to work in? The Fast and the Furious. <laughs> They're laughing about it, and he's like, come on, that would be great. You know, just make a fun movie with a ton of action and cool cars. Who wouldn't love that? Based on his work alone and that fact, he's probably on my Mount Rushmore of directors now. I love <laughs> that guy. He's in. He's made some good movies, but it sounds like he's ready to make a poor career choice. <laughs> yep, but he's, he's going to be in my Mount Rushmore. All right, well, Rigby, you're up. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, uh, just enjoying the holidays, just like you guys are. Going back home to the, to the sub-zero temperatures in December for Christmas time. Very excited for that. I'll have to bust up my new winter coat, which I bought last year uh, when I lived in cold weather, and we'll see if it still fits. The odds are it won't, so then I'll be shit out of luck. Yeah, things you don't need in California right now, <laughs> or ever. In my side, boys, I've got two words for you, and two words for audience, and those two words are go blue. Sorry, Rigby. We whooped that ass in the Big Ten title game, and we've got ourselves a date with Georgia. By the time this thing drops, we will still have ourselves a date with Georgia, so disappointment will not set in quite yet. But I was at the game on Saturday. I was very excited. We don't get to experience this much in Jim Harbaugh, Michigan football land, so I'm going to enjoy it while I can. We'll see what happens. I thought you were going to tell us that we were finally sponsored by JetBlue <laughs> or Blue Chews. That would be way cooler. I don't know. One or the other. Go Blue. We had absolutely no business being in that game. So cheers to you. And Iowa embarrasses themselves on national television once again. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about our featured guest. Cam Sully's back with us. Woo! Welcome back, man. Thank you. For those who did not listen to the previous episode that he was with us for, and that was Keith David, uh, Cam is just a film buff and former indie filmmaker who organizes his commentators to rank everything from cult films and shows to video games, music, and food. He was here for Keith David. There seems to be a theme. If you haven't figured it out, Cam apparently is affectionate for black men with deep, recognizable voices. That's what I've gathered <laughs> up to this point. Who isn't? Oh, man. We're just happy Cam's here to do it with us. So welcome back, Cam. How you been? 
And how are things going in the jacked up review show world? Oh, just nonstop cult movies, franchises. We have tackled everything from Phantasm to Hellraiser. <laughs> it's been quite a avalanche of opinions. <laughs> I, I know I told you this earlier, but for our listening audience, I am constantly blown away by the amount of content in pop culture that this guy consumes and can adequately talk about. It's insane. Amazing. Too much. <laughs> the number of episodes you put out and the amount of stuff you talk about, it just blows me away. I'm honestly shocked we could pull you away from all the work that that stuff requires to be here, to be completely honest. But I know you love these actor deep dives, so I don't think it was too much of an ask. I'm honored. And you guys conjure up even more fats that blow my mind. So <laughs> Let's have a good time. Happy to have you back, Cam. And let's get into some Haysbert action. Let's go. Birthdays, December 16th. Rigby, what do you got for us? First up, J.B. Smoove. Curb Your Enthusiasm, Hall Pass, uh, the recent Spider-Man movies. One of the funniest guys in Hollywood also, in my opinion. Also all over for the Caesar Sportsbook stuff right now. Yeah. I know, dude. I see him everywhere. If you watch an NFL game this, this season, you've most likely seen him as Caesar in the Caesar Sportsbook ads. Also, Jet fan. People don't know that. Ooh, all right. <laughs> I knew he was an Knicks fan. I didn't know the Jets. So he's also sad and depressed. Yeah. Correct. Yes. <laughs> he's, he's a member of the initiated. If you ever want to hear JB Smooth go on a great tangent, talk to him about RVs. He is an avid RV person. Really? That makes sense. Yes. <laughs> it's hilarious. He mentioned, a, he mentioned a bit of it when he was on Andy Richter's podcast recently. So that makes mm-hmm. sense. I'll get it started. I think JB Smoove is 51 years old. Mm. 58. 48. Say 45. <laughs> so JB Smoove is turning 56. I'm sorry. Uh, I did 51. Down. So Kyle, you win. That was a wide range. 45 to 58. That was a... <laughs> he just looks younger than he actually is. <laughs> That's a tough one. Yeah, I think he. I definitely think he looks younger. <laughs> that was a wide gap there. So good job, guys. Next up, Kristen Ritter. Uh, notable credits include Jessica Jones, Breaking Bad, Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23, which I had never heard of. But whoa, you... whoa, whoa! Is she related? That's is she related to John Ritter? No, that's that... up too. But no. Oh, no. okay. All right. Yeah. Because I never put that together. I was like, wait a second. I don't think so. No, she's not. I'm not sure. What do you guys think? How old is she turning? 33. Perfect Ooh, age I'm... for me. I'm going to go 37. I'll split the difference. 35. Go with that, too. 35. <laughs> Kyle wins again. She's turning 40. Holy moly. Yeah. Looks great. Well done. Congratulations. That's a, that's a milestone birthday. Next up. And last, or I should say, last but not least, we got Benjamin Bratt. Notable credits include Law and Order, Miss Congeniality, and recently Coco. Perhaps most famous for dating Julia Roberts in the late nineties. <laughs> this is a tough one, man. Yeah, because this is a guy who, like, he has looked the same for literally yeah. thirty years. He was the young guy on Law and Order for twenty years. Yep. I just pulled up a image search of him, so I knew who you guys were talking about, and he has a disturbingly high turtleneck on in one of the pictures <laughs> so because of that i'm gonna say he's 59 i'll, I'll jive with that I th- i'm gonna say benjamin bratt is 54 51 i'm gonna go with 61 it's like he can pull that off <laughs> oh kyle you went again oh, got it. that's a baby sweet. kyle's cheating he's turning 58 with the hat trick tonight <laughs> 
That is a hat trick. And none of them were on the dot. He just, he just is a good guesser. Correct. Boys, I'm not a great guesser. You're all terrible guessers. <laughs> I would agree with that. We're gonna find out. We're gonna find out how you can guess on this this actor trivia one coming up. We'll see. Yeah, that's right. Uh, well, you know how I'm gonna guess. It's gonna be some off the wall fucking random ass answer. So, actors that we threw onto the wheel for this one, episode 51. We're coming off the high of episode 50 and going into the second half here. We had Mindy Sterling, Eric Bana, Alicia Silverstone, and Nick Frost. Based on our conversation, Nick Frost seemed to be the most popular one, and Eric Bana. But it doesn't matter, because the wheel selected Dennis Haysbert, and Cam decided to join us for Dennis Haysbert. And <laughs> for Haysbert's career, many people know him as the Allstate guy, and we'll talk about that, but there's a lot more to it. But he's got a, just under 140 credits on his roster. It's scattered, so we've got 43 movies, 43 films, feature films. Nine TV movies, 16 recurring characters, 58 television spots over the years, which is a ton. Nine shorts, three video games. So much like some of the other performers we've covered, Dennis has done a a variety of things in the entertainment world. We'll talk about at least a a sampling of some of them. For those who are listening for the first time, you know, when you're dealing with somebody who's got 138 credits, you can't cover everything and keep it less than seven hours. So <laughs> we'll do our best to hit the highlights, talk about some things that stand out to us, performances we liked, performances we hated, and do our best to paint a picture of who Dennis Haysbert is as a human and a performer. But before we get into the nitty gritty details, we always start with a little trivia from James and see if he can stump us, which he is very good at doing. For uh, those of you who are new here, Cam, this does not include you. You are part of the initiated. You know how this goes. But for those of you who are new here, I'm going to read three facts. Two of them are going to be true and about Dennis Haysbert. And one of them is not going to be true about Dennis Haysbert, but is in fact going to be true about one of the many members of the Fast and Furious franchise. Guys have to guess which one is the odd man out. So fact number one, in his high school yearbook, he mentioned hat. one of his goals of having his face on the cover of Ebony and TV Guide, a goal which he later accomplished. Fact number two, played double-A baseball for the California Angels until injuries forced him to retire at a young age and take up acting. Fact number three, decided to, to commit to becoming an actor after he told his brother it was his dream. His brother told him to follow that dream because tomorrow isn't promised. And his brother passed away the next day from cancer. Oh, wow. That took a somber twist. Holy moly. <laughs> that's, a, that's a Hallmark movie right there. I think that's actually the lie. Number two, that's a fact about Sean Baker, who will one day hopefully <laughs> direct a Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> <laughs> our, first, our first director shout out. Huh? Great pull. I think. Two is the lie, and I think that's Tyrese Gibson. I think he was a, I think he was a double A baseball player one day. Well, oh, that's that's a good guess. known known athlete Tyrese Gibson. He could turn a double play. I heard athlete, athlete rapper, subpar actor. He's a he's a three tool player. Triple threat. <laughs> Number one is totally the lie. I recall that being a Vin Diesel line, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Just because I want to go four and zero, oh, I think number two is also the lie, but. I'm going to be half right, because that was definitely Noel Guglielmi, who is a Hispanic man who played some serious minor league baseball and played I for the California Angels. It would G, baby. <laughs> Kyle, so it's funny you mentioned that, because I was legitimately looking up 
Noel Guglielmi facts today. Were you? And, <laughs> and he didn't make the cut, but that was a good guess. <laughs> I am deep into my fact research at this point when it comes to Fast and the Furious. So uh, what you might know him as Hector from nine of his roles in his career. But yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes Noel Guglielmi yes. was part of my research during this. The one that none of you guessed uh, because of probably its most somber tone Fact number three is true. So he knew he wanted to get into acting from the time he was 10. And he would do certain things to motivate himself, but there was really no catalyst for it. And he had an older brother who died of cancer. And when he was, he happened to be with him the day before. And his older brother asked him, so like, what do you want to do with your life? He said, I want to be an actor. He's like, well, where do you want to do it? Can you do it from where we are? And he's like, no, not really. He's like, well, then why don't you just go do that? somewhere else where you could be successful because tomorrow's not promised. And Haysbert said, I'll always remember that because his brother legitimately passed away the next day. So it was a catalyst to him as his brother's last words to him to motivate him to get into acting, which is pretty cool last words to receive from someone, especially in such a dire situation. Wow. Fact number one is true. As I mentioned, he meant he wanted to get uh, motivated himself from a young age. So in his high school yearbook, he mentioned his goals of being on the cover of Ebony and TV Guide as life goals. And uh, he's from California, San, San Mateo, and he actually achieved both of those. And so that was something he motivated himself to do. And he now is a firm believer, similar to what we had mentioned with Jim Carrey in the last episode, is kind of visualizing what you want and the power of positive thinking. And that becoming your, your uh, what happens to you in your life. And so he totally believes in that. And while he was quite an athlete, fact number two is not about him. So he was a pretty good athlete and he got a couple of athletic scholarships, not to play baseball, but to play football. But uh, he did play baseball and we'll cover that more in major league about his actual athletic ability. But fact number two is in 1973, a torn shoulder muscle forced a young actor by the name of Kurt Russell, Kurt Russell. to retire yeah. from baseball oh. despite hitting 563 at the time. What? Uh, yeah. So Mr. Nobody. He would go on to star as Mr. Nobody. This is what he obviously Kurt Russell's most famously known for is his Mr. Nobody role <laughs> in Furious 7, The Fate of the Furious, and F9, The Fast Saga. I mean, I know Case is a huge Kurt Russell fan, so as soon as... Love Kurt Russell. I'm shocked you didn't get that, Case, just because of how big of a Kurt fan he knew. He was just... I already had my Sean Baker lot in the, in the, in the barrel, <laughs> yes, so I had to see that shot. Yep, you did. You're right. <laughs> That's a great fact, though. That is That's a great amazing. job, James. Good job, James. Always excellent. 51 episodes in. Still sharp. Case, snapshot in box office history. Tell us about Haysbert. Haysbert, not surprisingly, takes a pretty good beating in our box office metrics. <laughs> With most of his notoriety coming from the TV side of things, it's really hard for an actor like this to compare to many of the other great actors that we've looked at. His highest comparative ranking is his fan ranking, which is 59%, which ranks him 33 out of 51. His lowest mark is his IMDb rating. Our boy Dennis Haysbert, at time of recording, ranks 4,448, which places him dead last, <laughs> which is nearly 1,000 points behind Angelica Houston. Interesting point. He hit 100 in May of 2021 on an episode of Meet the Press. Other interesting note, did anyone else know that Meet the Press has been on since 1947? No. It's the longest running weekly show in American history. <laughs> that blew my mind. This is crazy. Yeah. 
It's interesting, though. Two of his biggest box office flops, one of the Sin City movies and Mr. Baseball, with both of them losing $26 million and $19 million respectively. <laughs> and the reason I find that surprising is those were two pretty heavily pumped out movies that yeah. when you've got that sort of studio heat behind you, you usually make your money back at the very least. His best box office performance would definitely be in Major League, where it grossed uh, $50 million on an $11 million budget. And the highest grossing project he was a part of was Kung Fu Panda 2, which grossed <laughs> over $660 million. Comparing him to other performers, he ranks 28th in average film budget, which I, I figured was about right. Dead last in Star Meter, 41st and 33rd, respectively, in crit, uh, critic rank and fan ranks, and 45th and 49th in two different box office measurements. If you add up all those numbers and compare him to other performers, he comes in. Don't worry, David Spade. Haysbert comes in 50th of 51. Oh, leaving David damn. Spade as the lowest in our box office ranks. That is genuinely shocking information. <laughs> oh, you're shocked by that, James? I actually am because of some of the I'm, actors we've covered. Oh, I'm shocked he isn't last, to be Not completely too honest. Shocked, <laughs> he kind of started off doing a lot of independent movies. You know, they always mm-hmm. wait with the budgets on those. <laughs> His IMDb rating. I thought it was one of these situations where it was just based on when we're recording, nobody's talking about him. But most of his career, he's hovered around 3,000 to 4,000. It was just, he just had that one spike on Meet the Press, which I don't know what was about, but it happened. (laughs) That's a brand, I guess. That'll take you there. (laughs) You can never account for the Meet the Press bump. You know, it's just. That's what the kids are watching these days. You should send that research to the Meet the Press publicist team and let them know, like, (laughs) you need to sell this. This is what we do. Man, he's going to have two bumps in his career, and I'm flattered that one of them will be Munson's at the movies. That's right, And the other one will be Meet the Press. (laughs) You know, for every Jim Carrey, we get a Dennis Haysbert, which (laughs) doesn't have a lot of fanfare, and we, we give a guy that's not getting the spotlight a little bit of spotlight. So that's that's the beauty of this. Let's do it, man. Um, and I'm always interested in how the box office averaged compares to the Munson meter at the end of the day. So we're starting off with 50th. We'll see where we land by the time we get to the end of the episode. <laughs> Before we get into the first major role, the early days of Dennis Haysbert. So first major role is 81. Before that, as Jameson mentioned, California born. He's got eight siblings, so he comes from a big family. As Jameson mentioned, he chose acting over athletics because he also had a heart defect that was limiting his ability to play sports, and then his brother encouraged him to enroll in the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. I am similar to Dennis Haysbert in that, except I just thought sports were too hard. It wasn't that I had a bad heart. I just didn't want to do all the work. Otherwise, I was going to be a professional baseball player or football player as well, but it's just too hard. Same. I I stopped because everyone got better than me. <laughs> but I, I think I probably had what it takes to go pro if I was better. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but Dennis's first role was in 1978's Lou Grant, an episode. It's available on YouTube. You can check it out. His first film role was in a movie called Scoring. Small role is Lieutenant Harrigan in 1979. He, he, before his first major role in most of his early career is a lot of brief TV appearances. And so there are seven roles he had before his before 81, including roles in Laverne and Shirley, The Incredible Hulk, Galactica, Quincy M.E., and Buck Rogers in the 25th century. So they're not small shows, 
in the late 70s. Oh, no, they're great shows. Those are all, I mean, they're just one-episode spots, but he's getting work in some pretty well-known television. But at the time, you know, there's, there's three channels. And so to be on one of the key shows that's on any of those channels is pretty impressive. But his first major role was in 1981's Grambling's White Tiger. Now, we'll talk about Major League here in a little bit, which we went into thinking it was his first major role. But then <laughs> we watched Grambling's White Tiger. And this is an interesting film to discuss. I've got this one, this particular review. After a bunch of small TV roles, he takes on this football playing character. So it aligns a little pretty well with what James talked about of him being good at football back in the day. The premise of the movie is a young, I put in air quotes, young, a young white quarterback goes to Grambling State and HBCU historically black college, to compete for the starting job. He encounters all the difficulties you would expect from the black players outside of a few friendlies, including the coach, played by Harry Belafonte. Ever heard of him? Yeah. No big deal, right? <laughs> big name. The current quarterback, played by Dennis Haysbert. And the someone nicknamed Tank, who is played by LeVar Burton, who is the least predictable person you ever put into a role who plays a football player. Wait, LeVar Burton's playing a character whose nickname is Tank? Yes, it is hilarious. Was he reading to people in between takes? Uh, you yeah, watch the, the friendliest man on earth was Tank? Yes. <laughs> they do a pretty good job of hiding how short he is most of the film until there's a scene where he's walking with the quarterback who is played by Caitlyn Jenner at the time, Bruce Jenner. And the difference in height is stark. It Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner looks like a giant comparatively to LeVar Burton. And you're like, why did they cast this? Oh, because he's a semi big name at this moment in time. Huge name. The whole film is about this character played by Caitlyn Jenner, learning what it's like to be a minority as a white guy at a historically black college playing college football. So the fact that it was I didn't even realize it was Caitlyn Jenner watching. It. I went to the IMDb. I knew it looked familiar, but I was like, Holy shit, that's that's Caitlyn slash Bruce Jenner. I thought that was fascinating. This is actually probably a year or two after Caitlyn Jenner won the gold medal in the Olympics. Oh, okay. I didn't even know she acted. She has. Yeah, she was on the on Wheaties at this point. Yeah, it's crazy. She didn't have many roles, maybe 20 to 30 credits. It's not a ton, but this is one of them. And let me tell you, the, the character's supposed to be a college freshman. <laughs> Caitlyn Jenner is 31 at the age of filming. <laughs> Caitlyn does not look like a college freshman at all. Could have been late to, you know, going in later in life. life. <laughs> yeah, I guess. You know, served in the military, came back on the GI Bill, you know. I, I appreciate the non-traditional student <laughs> approach you're taking, but that's not the case in this movie. <laughs> fair but Dennis Haysbert plays a college senior, and he's, at the time, I think 27, 20, no, he's 25. So it's a, it's a little bit more of a better cast and a better fit. But Haysbert shows some fire as the quarterback, man. I was actually kind of impressed. He's a supporting character in the movie, but he does have... He has several speeches that he gives to the team, like very substantive, full of fire, pretty competent speeches motivating to the team, which were impressive to me. He's tall and lanky as hell. He's he's not a scrambling quarterback. I would not liken him to a Lamar Jackson. He is. (laughs) They show him scrambling. It is ugly to watch. One hundred percent. Not a speed guy. Not a speed guy. He's he's more of a pocket passer, tall, lanky bastard. It, make, it makes sense because in actual football, that 
was his best sport that he received uh, scholarship offers for. He was a defensive end because he's a big guy. Yeah, I can see that. And in in baseball, he pitched again because he's a big guy. And so, you know, straight line speed was not necessarily his athletic calling. And I'll tell you, they showed him throwing the ball multiple times. He has a terrible arm. Not oh, good really? at all. <laughs> um, Caitlin Jenner, great arm from what I could see. Lefty. A little bit of a cannon. Won the decathlon. Yeah, that's a that's probably Olympic a athlete. Tremendous arm. <laughs> yeah, it made sense, even though the age gap was off for a college freshman. Looked like he had some talent, so I believe that. But this honestly, some of the better acting I've seen from Dennis Haber, oh, man, Haysbert. It's weird to say that, but he does a pretty good job in the role of being this college senior who's motivating the guys and putting some fire and passion into his speeches. I was. Kind of impressed. You notice this movie used to have like a five out of ten on IMDb, and now it's got like a two out of ten. It's, it's like a two or a three. It's, <laughs> it's, I don't think it's a two or a three. I'll, I'll throw that out there. With Caitlin in it, so we're just gonna rate it. Down. <laughs> yeah, it's like a four or five, right? It's not great, but I don't. I think it's a decent TV movie. I've seen much worse. But let me ask this question to you guys. Based on what I've told you, and this is, question isn't for Cam because he's seen it. Based on what I told you, what would you expect to happen at the end of this story? <laughs> a lot of personal growth you know the the senior has kind of admitted that he didn't know the right of way and he's in, in, embraced the freshman who's also learned that maybe he's not the hot shot he thought he was uh, rudy gets a tackle at the end of the game was, great defensive end move uh gets yeah. two plays the coach dies of a heart attack and <laughs> Dennis Haysbert takes over play calling responsibilities. <laughs> Simon Birch hits a foul ball and kills his mom. It's like a combo of Simon Birch and Varsity Blues is what I'm hearing. No, it's exactly what you expect. He starts dating black women and that creates tensions, right, with her family and with the rest of a lot of the players. There's one older member who hates him and gives him a hard time and the, his friendlies help him navigate through that. Yeah, one player blames them losing on Caitlyn Jenner, even though Caitlyn never sees the field until their final game. But every time they lose, it's because this white person's on the team. So that's Grambling's White Tiger. It's available on Tubi at this moment of recording. I can't say it'll be there forever for our <laughs> listening audience. It's not a great movie. And it's short. It's like an hour and 20. You know, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not a long movie. So that's Grambling's White Tiger. Uh, I looked it up. LeVar Burton is 5'7", Caitlyn Jenner is 6'2". Yep. They look like a giant comparatively to LeVar at the, <laughs> in that one scene. There you go. Now you all know about that. Mm-hmm. Everybody wins. Everybody wins, including our, our listening audience. Thank you for that, Kyle. You're welcome. I'm glad I could do that for you. <laughs> now Rigby knows Caitlyn Jenner had a semi-flourishing acting career. Look at that. This, I'm telling you, you learn something new every day on this show. That's the beauty of this show, right? Like... I'd never heard of Grambling's White Tiger before, and now I can say at least I've heard of it. I've not yeah. seen it, but it is interesting <laughs> to learn these things. All right, so the next review is in 94. So over the next 11 years or so, we're going to hit some of the, the major highlights. Number one, over the next couple of years, he's in 20-plus shows. So some of those shows, the A-Team, Magnum P.I., Growing Pains. He played a variety of characters on that over three episodes. The Young and the Restless. <laughs> The Facts of Life. Four of those five titles have some of the best intro music of all time. Mm. Not The Young and the Restless, but all the other ones. I was about to say, you really love That Young and the Restless. That's so... He's picking TV shows at this point based on theme songs. Yeah, he's not getting a ton of feature films, but my man is busy on the TV side. Cam, that's like 27 shows just in the early part of his career. Any of those that really stood out to you, some stuff you've seen that he 
was exceptional in. Gloss over Buck Rogers. I thought he was pretty cool in his numerous guest spots there. I unfortunately never got a chance to see Facts of Life, but I think of all these that we probably have seen most, some of us might have seen Crime Story and definitely the A-Team episode where he's the guard. Love it. And there's a lot more we didn't even mention, too, just like smaller it's TV too much. shows over the years. Yeah, you, you just can't. It, it's like digging into a trio background there. There's just too much to cover. But the, the first role that most people know him from, and potentially his best role, we'll, we'll debate that here in a little bit, is his role <laughs> as Pedro Serrano in Major League in 1989, a movie we covered on the Rene Russo episode. His character is so quotable and so memorable from this movie. Anybody of a certain age, you walk into a room and go, Hey, bartender, Joe Boo needs a refill. They will know exactly who you're like, who you're talking about, even though it's not his quote, but it's it's to him. His character in that movie is so memorable and and so fun. One of my favorite one liners from it is when I guess ignorant to his culture, which is funny because his religion in the in the movie is voodoo. So it's not a very popular, (laughs) not a very popular religion, but (laughs) is the uh old wily veteran pitcher who goes in there is like well you ever hear about jesus christ and he's like seems like a nice guy i like i like jesus christ but you know he doesn't help with you know me hitting a curveball and the guy responds goes you don't think jesus christ could hit a curveball there's <laughs> <laughs> a great one <laughs> pedro serrano to me aside from aside from probably rick vaughn pedro serrano is my favorite character in the movie yeah, yeah. The, just the wackiness the the whole voodoo stuff is so funny the fact that he walks around like the locker room and just like this black, like, you know, with like his perfectly toned ass just hanging out. Like, it's so funny. My, my favorite line in the movie after the rewatch is, is very bad to take Joe Booz around. <laughs> I love when he steals, he just steals the head cover off, uh, off Doran's golf the, bag. The and golf he's like, bag, yeah. Yeah, he goes, whoa, whoa. He goes, gracias. <laughs> he goes, it keeps bats warm. Keeps bats warm. <laughs> Something important to point out about this role is this is one of the few roles that he has where it's not a massive speaking role for him, where he's he's no. he's relying on his voice and his you know, he's got an iconic voice and for him just to have comedic timing and mm-hmm. you know have to have to act out this character, I, I think is pretty important. And I wish he'd have had more roles like this in his career. It's one of the few I saw him with an accent mm-hmm. in all the stuff he's done. Yeah. I watch a lot of his stuff. Normally it's pretty straightforward, deep voice. This one, you know, he's rocking that accent. It looked like it's just a ton of fun to play that character. Was it a good accent? I'm not, I don't know, but I loved it. I, probably not, but that's okay. The most interesting thing I read is that he talked when in interviews when he talks about the character in the movie, he said the only two people there who were actually good at baseball were him and Charlie Sheen. Yeah, and he said Tom Berenger was by far like the worst baseball player of the bunch, and pretty much every home run he hit on screen was a legitimate home run that he hit. So he can hit bombs. Berenger's got bad knees, man, and yeah, know, I mean he can't, he can't spend that much time in the Mexican minors and, and come <laughs> yeah. out tip top shape. So you don't need your catcher, your old wily veteran catcher, to be that athletic. You know, he just needs to call a good game out there. That's right. So Major League, that's a big one. A year later. He's in Navy SEALs, he plays a character named Graham, alongside Charlie Sheen and Bill Paxton. Um, spoiler alert, he dies. <laughs> it's by the director of Cujo. Oh, is it really? Yeah, I watched it. I was not a big fan of this movie. <laughs> I, I get why it was made, and I understand it's a Charlie Sheen vehicle. Bill Paxton does not have a big role at all. It hurts no. my soul. And 
<laughs> it just feels like Orion was just trying to capitalize. It's like, hey, our last movie with Charlie Sheen was Platoon. Our last movie with Michael Bean was The Terminator. Let's do that again. But uh, the plot, eh, don't worry about it. Yeah, I wasn't a huge <laughs> fan of this one. Haysburg doesn't make it through. But a movie that I actually liked, and I don't know if I should like it, and that was Mr. Baseball. He plays Max Hammer Dubois. <laughs> I'm, I'm, we can gather why he got this role. You know, Major League was kind of the vehicle. <laughs> For him to play in this role where Tom Selleck is an American baseball player who uh, is kind of washed up and basically gets traded to a team in Japan and has to learn how to play by Japanese culture rules. And <laughs> I thought it was interesting to watch. Maybe I'm in the minority here. I don't know. I call it being acceptable for that. It just kind of it wasn't as funny as Major League. But like you say, it was a feel good movie and it lost a lot of money. Yeah, it did. I think it's exciting. He's teaming back up with Magnum P.I. for yeah. a second go around. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I always get Mr. Baseball confused with Mr. Destiny, which I think we talked about in the, in the Russo episode. <laughs> I always get those mistaken with Mr. 3000. Mr. 3000 oh, yeah. with Bernie Mac. <laughs> Bernie Mac one. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. Mr. Destiny is the best movie out of all three that we just named. So there you go. I don't know <laughs> if I've ever seen Mr. Destiny. Hold on. We talked about that in the Russo episode because yeah. she plays Jim Belushi's love interest. In oh, movie. that's right. Haysbert plays the other American ball player on the team who's helping <laughs> Tom Selleck acclimate and basically keeps him in check the whole time from being too much of an asshole <laughs> for his new Japanese manager and Japanese team. And, uh, you know, Selleck teaches the boys how to have some fun. You know, they all learn from each other. Again, good lessons to learn about culture, I guess. Sometimes there are some pretty racist things in that movie, too. So I can't say that with the too much. <laughs> From the early case. 90s, I, there has to be. It was no way, star, right? It was required. <laughs> yeah, it's part of the deal. 92, he's in Love Field as a character named Paul alongside Michelle Pfeiffer in a story about a woman that's so obsessed with the death of JFK that she decides to go on a road trip and runs into a very mysterious Dennis Haysbert who's transporting a young, young girl secretly. Mm-hmm. And they're on the run from from law enforcement. Are you sure that movie's not about QAnon? <laughs> oh God! <Could> be. <laughs> that that um, hits on every every point you just mentioned. Sounds like a QAnon. Yeah, one hundred. Starting with the JFK conspiracy. Yep. Yep. One hundred percent. Not playing an incel assassination guy. He's <laughs> no. He does say where we go one, we go all, which is odd, but he does say that. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you that didn't see Love Field or for people listening that want to know, like, what's a good underrated Hazard role? I think this is one of them. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a decent movie, and I think he it's one of his better acting performances. I think this is kind of where he just starts choosing roles where it's like there's some historical uh, subtext to it, and he's starting to make an important story. And his character's got an era, like an aura of mystery to it, which I think is different for him, too. Yeah. You know, they're... That I think that's what made the the, the plot semi interesting to watch at least. And Michelle Pfeiffer is a pretty class act yeah. actress, so you know she's going to usually put in a good performance for you no matter what. It's paced a little bit slower than than I'd like, and and it's it is a little bit flat. I think it it, it gains relevance as time goes on because, like Cam was saying, because it does deal with such a an interesting period in American history. And it is definitely worth a watch, but just don't be ready for a 24-level paced 
<laughs> crime drama. No, it's no. definitely slow. Ninety three using Queen. I believe it was a miniseries, right? Played a character named Davis. Alex Haley's follow up to Roots. And then ninety three, he's in Suture. His character named Clay. This is my DNF of the episode. Uh, I wanted to because it's a black and white film. It seems it's very artistic. It's very interesting. I just couldn't. It couldn't keep me captivated. It's your did not finish. It's my did not start. The only one? The only DNS for you, James? No, no, no. That'd be a lie. Uh, I know. I figured. (laughs) It was a did not finish in a box office. $900,000 budget, which sounds about right, based on what you're saying. It's an indie project. And it pulled in 103000 world gross. Oof. It lost almost $800,000. You add that together, it's a million bucks. Yeah. I had never heard of this movie, and I Googled it, and I had also never heard of anybody in it but Dennis Haysbert. So. Yeah. <laughs> I meant to see it for a while because it was one of the movies Steven Soderbergh had produced. Oh, interesting. It is kind of a like it or hate it Kubrickian. I, I, I like to call this if Stanley Kubrick made the Manchurian Candidate. <laughs> Oh, interesting. If you don't like those guys, you like this one. See, that's why I bring Cam on. He knows all these, like, just <laughs> odd, weird connections. Like, they're so cool. I'm so impressed. It just blows me away, man. But speaking of blow, blowing us away, we're, we're on pins and needles waiting to hear about lowest critic score. Every five episodes, generally speaking, a guest gets stuck with lowest critic score. Unless we trade out with them, which we will do sometimes. But um, we know Cam... Cam lives in a world of watching shitty movies, so <laughs> we know Cam is more than down to talk about Major League Two. Oh man! So let's let's hear let's hear from Cam on that one. So about three years ago, my father just has MLB on. That's the only thing he watches. So we watched Major League movies back to back. It's been a while since I'd seen them, and we were really guffawing at the first one. And the second one comes on. Lo and behold, they're doing a marathon, and we're just like. Hmm. Everything the first movie isn't <laughs> just it's like yeah. they're doing the same joke, they're doing the same routine, but it's kind of becoming police academy at this point. Where it's like, okay, well, what's funny the first time, you know, isn't funny when you say it five hundred more times. <laughs> I think it's his worst movie. Oh, I think the Dark Tower still takes that place. <laughs> How big of his, is his role? He's very underused. I have to say, I I would have thought he would be utilized or at least get half the other cast members that didn't return but i guess they just said nah man i'm good i'm not gonna be a franchise person <laughs> yeah he's he's completely opposite in this movie what he is in the first one which is like a dark mysterious yeah if i remember correctly the plot with him in this is that he undergoes like he's undergone like an awakening and he like because he used to be like a devil like a voodoo worshiper or a devil worshiper and in this movie i think he's like mm-hmm. like he there's a scene where he he hits a ball off the bat and it hits a bird and he kills the bird and he like freaks out and runs in the outfield and is like, I didn't mean to kill it. Like it's very, it's very different than what you'd say in the first one. I don't know why they try to change that up. I thought they, maybe they thought, you know, him being sensitive would be funny, but it doesn't work at all. He's a Buddhist. (laughs) He really, he goes from voodoo to being a Buddhist. That's what it is. He he becomes a Buddhist. Yes. The whole movie is total WTF throughout the entire runtime. And it does, I, it's the same writers, so it just makes you wonder, was it just deleted scenes and he just decided, oh, well, I wanted to use those, so I'll put it in, but there's a re- reason they were deleted. <laughs> they don't work. Last thing I'll say about Major League Two, it's always bothered me that like they made this movie thinking it would be funny because the reason the first one is funny is because they're a bunch of like degenerate fuck-ups who somehow win a pennant. This one, they're like successful, and 
they try to just portray different parts of themselves and what they are in the first one. And I, I just think it's all, it was always kind of set up for a failure, unfortunately. Because it's not yeah. the underdog story anymore? Yep. Well, that's Major League Two. Why waste any more time on that? Uh, the Cam <laughs> says it's not as bad as Dark Tower, but it is bad. It sounds like it earns its lowest critic score. That's a good tease for the Dark Tower review we're going to have here in a little while. <laughs> I don't think well, there'll be much of a review, but um, we're going to flip it. So we went from really bad, we're going to go to really good in 95's Heat, where he plays character Donald. I, I feel confident saying Heat's a damn good movie. And he's good in it. Yeah, he, and his character, even though it's a small side character, is probably like the most heartbreaking yes, side yeah. plot of the story. Definitely. That's exactly, yeah, because... All of them have nothing to lose. They're all ex-special like, forces, and they just happen to be a friend of one of the robbers, and he's just a guy at a crappy restaurant job with everything to lose. So. Yeah, when he's having to eat shit from that awful boss because of his parole, I'm just like, come oh man, this poor guy. Mm-hmm. He's good in it. A better casting choice from Dennis Haysbert is what I'm hearing comparatively to reprising Pedro Serrano. All right, same year. He's in Waiting to Exhale. He plays Kenneth, a uh, a role where he plays a lover to a pretty famous pop star. Which pop star was it, Cam? Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston, <laughs> yeah. Rest in peace. Ever heard of her? Film's kind of a who's who of black actors in the mid-90s. Like, <laughs> you know, like Angela Bassett. I mean, it's a really interesting movie. It's on HBO Max. Reunited with his Major League co-star Wesley Snipes. Yes, he is. McKelty Williamson, who played the uh, Forrest Gump's buddy. Bubba. Wendell Pierce. This is a loaded cast. Wendell Pierce, Donald Faison. So it's a cool little film, you know, especially if you're you're like interested in those African-American actors. It's in, And Haysbert plays... Kind of like a Rico Suave, gentlemanly type for Whitney Houston, like her dream man. That is a manipulative bastard in this one. <laughs> yeah, she, she by the end t- b- tells him to fuck off, so that's kind of fun. I think this is a, a character that he could play well. He just never really continued that style throughout the rest of his mm-hmm. career as like the smooth talking ladies' man. Instead, it was, you know, he got very much into like. Military and politics, and, yeah, you know the type of author authoritative figure. But I think he could really pull this off. I, the the actor we've covered that I think parallels him the most is Gary Cole in terms of the types of roles that he takes on. Because we talked about Gary Cole takes on a lot of authority yeah, figures. That's a good one. That's a good one, right? And yeah. Dennis Haysbert, to his point, like <laughs> it's like firefighters, EMT, police, detectives. Yeah. Like military president, smoke mm-hmm. jumper. <laughs> yep, like he he loves that kind of stuff. Is there a reason for that that you found in any of your research? I think he's just good at it. Okay, and they're like, we can count on him, and he's willing to do it. He's good at it. How about uh, absolute power? I know we talked about it on the Linny episode. I think John talked about how he didn't think this movie was very good as a Clint Eastwood film. He plays a character named Tim. Yeah, he's a corrupt Secret Service agent. Bird actually said in an interview he learned the most from acting, actually just studying Gene Hackman, who plays the crooked president in this movie. Oh, yeah. A good one to take notes from. That's a great and, fact. Mm-hmm. And he and Scott Glenn were just both just having to just, you know, there was there's no dialogue really much in the script, so they're having to do all the minuscule stuff, much like uh, Ed Harris, who plays the investigator, you know, doesn't have many lines, but they're having to do a lot with very small roles. He meets future 24 wife, Penny Johnson on this one. She plays another CSI tech. 
I love it. See Cam connecting the dots, baby. <laughs> it's all connected. I mean, that might be the reason he made the shift, right? Spending mm-hmm. that time with Hackman and realizing he really enjoyed that that path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you probably saw an opportunity there. There's the, yep. plenty of those roles out there. Play a different kind of hard ass. <laughs> you know, I, I think like any any business you go into, once you become dependable to get a certain job done. Right. Find your niche and stick with it. Right. And, yeah, yeah. you know, it gets into a larger conversation about being pigeonholed. I just don't think it cares about that anymore. Right. No. Not when you got that Allstate money. That's right, baby. Start doing the commercials to supplement and you're good to go. 98. He continues the, the bastardization of Pedro Serrano and Major League back to the minors. <laughs> and then 99, his number four IMDb credit is the 13th floor. He plays Detective McBain. Did that back to back with the minus man in both roles. He's just playing a detective, but in this one is like you kind of forget he's in it just because just the time you just are treated to Vincent D'Onofrio overacting and just like any other pre-Matrix movie, it has an idea of cyberpunk, but it doesn't know how to make it be an interesting movie if you're not familiar with William Gibson influence works. Interesting. So Altered Carbon, it's not. It's pretty bad. Got it. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the IMDb right now. The top four characters all have multiple roles. That would concern me going into watching this movie. <laughs> and so speaking of the Minus Man, Cameron mentioned that same year he did Minus Man, a movie with Owen Wilson, Cheryl Crow, and it's not a good film. I, I watched yeah. that one and not a not a big fan. He plays he plays a, a detective alongside Dwight Yoakam, which is interesting. But that's about as interesting as that movie gets. I mean, this dude's busy. <laughs> Late 90s. I mean, this dude's pumping stuff out. So he's got Random Hearts, a movie we mentioned in the Bonnie Hunt episode where he plays a detective, a cop baddie in that one. Yeah. <laughs> it's a smaller role, but he plays a corrupt cop in that one. Fight scene with Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. Not bad. There are worse movies out there for sure. We've talked about a few of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then 2000, To Break the Millennium. He's in Love and Basketball as Zeke. He's a playboy in this movie. Yeah, he plays opposite Major League Two co-star Omar Epps. That's right. Mentoring dad. He's a former NBA player who becomes like a kind of a deadbeat dad by the end of the movie. He like cheats on his wife, cheats on Omar Epps's mom, and I think it's like a paternity suit against him. Yeah, it's kind of like a kind of like a gossipy type character. How oh, is he in it? Is he good? Yeah, I I I buy him as a former NBA small forward. I mean, it's a popular movie. Yes. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. This is a this is a de- definitely a really lo- dig it as much as I did. What's cooking? And then the last couple before highest critic score, you've got an appearance on The Outer Limits in '01, and then his biggest TV show role over the years, and that's his role as President Palmer from '01 to '07 in '24, a, a role that got him one of his few award nominations as a Golden Globe nom for Best Supporting Actor. I think it's actually his only one, only prominent one. I didn't watch this when it came out. I'm binging season one right now and in preparation for this. This show changed television. And it's it's very impressive to see, number one, what this show did with it. And then number two, how he carries such a major storyline. It's just a really I'm really enjoying the rewatch of this show. His character just takes so much punishment and hurt throughout the whole series and is never the. Much like no one else is ever the same person by the next season, his character changes up, you know, probably the most. You know, he's playing in this scenario, the first black president, having to root out all the bad apples in his administration. And, you know, so it's 2002. And we're going to talk a little bit about highest critic score. 
which in this case is far from heaven, and James is going to talk about it. So I appreciate the trend that we have going here on the podcast, which is when I get the highest critic score, it is consistently a movie that I either have no interest in watching or <laughs> I is completely unlikable. So that trend continues here. So I will get through my review of it and let those of you who did enjoy this movie uh, talk positively about it. The story set in the 1950s and it revolves around a privileged suburban family whose lives are kind of feel filled with like keeping up with the Joneses, you know, it's social events and everyone is dressed to the nines all the time. And you, you know, you got to avoid the gossip of round town because it's the small town in Connecticut. Family's life is turned upside down when both the husband played by Dennis Quaid and the wife played by Julianne Moore are faced with choices that add, not only add, uh, create a gossip mill for the entire community, but actually change both of their lives forever. That's the synopsis that is uh, shared here. Haysbert is, uh, he plays the couple's gardener and he is taking over for his father's business and he ends up developing a relationship with uh, Julianne Moore that starts off as a friendship and grows into kind of like a romantic courtship. Again, it's through the eyes of the 1950s. So Dennis Quaid's character, spoiler, is dealing with the fact that he's gay. Julianne Moore is kind of coping with that in a time in which no one really understood what homosexuality was. And so it was looked at as something that was treatable with, you know, going to therapists. And on top of that, they have a pretty shitty marriage regardless. And <laughs> she is developing kind of like a friendship with Dennis Haysbert. But he obviously is black. And at this time, even him talking to her led to gossip and rumor mills. So you can see where the story is going. My issue with this, you know, before that, let me say the positives. One positive, it's beautifully shot. I think every day is a perfect fall day. The colors on the screens pop, like 1950s outfits. Every, everything there is just like super vibrant. It's, it's really beautiful to watch. And I think the three main actors in this with Quaid, Julianne Moore, and Haysbert, I think they do a good job with what they're asked to do. The problem I have is that what they're asked to do is so unengaging and it it was I almost didn't finish this movie. I had to text the group chat and be like, dude, I got 50 minutes left and I don't know if I'm going to make it through this thing. It felt like I was watching a play. Like it the whole music plays throughout the entire movie and it's and it's like orchestra music. So it's like builds up suspense. So you know this is a serious moment and then all of a sudden, you know, this is a romantic moment because they have a clarinet playing and it, it just wasn't, it, it felt lifeless. It felt like it was trying to be like, hey, remember the 50s? This is how a movie would look like in the 50s, even though it's 2004. The children actors in this movie are so bad that I refuse to accept that kids ever talked like that for real. Like, it's, it's Dennis Quaid comes home from work and his kid is like, Oh, shucks, Paul, you got some time to go throw the baseball with my dad? And he's like, no, son, go do your work. He's like, oh, Paul, okay. I'm like, dude, this is not how people interacted with each other. I just refuse to accept that at any point that was American life. I think it's what we imagined American life to be. But more likely he was like, hey, dad, want to throw baseball? And the dad was drunk and was like, shut the fuck up, leave me alone. That's probably what happened more realistic. But I just found it so unengaging and so lifeless that like moments that were supposed to be heartfelt, I started laughing and it, it was just too much for me. So 
I have no interest in watching it. I thought Hayes, uh, Haysburg did fine with what he was asked to do. A lot of the characters are one note, and so his character isn't, which I enjoy. Julianne Moore, who I think is one of the best actresses in the game. Yes. I think she did a great job portraying this 50s housewife who has to pretend everything's okay all the time. But the way she is speaking, it's like I was watching a movie about movies from a different time, and it's just so uninteresting to me. So I will let those of you who I know did enjoy it speak positively on it. Yeah, so I watched this movie in a contemporary cinema class my sophomore year of college. (laughs) Because it's an homage to, and correct me if I'm wrong, Cam, I feel like you would know this. It's an homage to a movie with Rock Hudson in the 50s called All That Heaven Will Allow, I believe. I think so, yeah. Very similar plot line to this, and they're they're obviously the 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 title playing with the title "Far from Heaven" is a is a wink and a nod to that. But I like I like how it sort of, as you mentioned, James, sort of the angst around that period with like the homosexuality and the interracial interracial you know extramarital affair. That's obviously like that was I, I felt like the movie did a good job of capturing sort of the viewpoints of how people felt back then and, and the reaction and you know, how they try to do stuff behind closed doors. And I found that to be very effective. I could see why you think it's slow and boring and, and uninteresting. But I think from just an old, appreciating the old Hollywood standpoint and, and liking how it's, it's a good throwback to that, I enjoyed it. I learned a lot about the concept of pastiche researching <laughs> this movie. Of like, just what... Huh? So if you read all the reviews, because it's got like an 84 Metascore. It's extremely yeah. high. Yeah. I was blown away by the amount of people who not only liked this movie, loved this movie. A supremely intelligent pastiche. Like, uh, there's like four different ones that say pastiche. A movie for hardcore film geeks and regular folk alike, a stunning and stunningly improbable fusion of mo- postmodern pastiche and old school Hollywood melodrama. So, like, that word just keeps popping up over and over again, and it speaks to Rigby's comment about being an homage to the 50s. And so, I think. I didn't love it. Like I wouldn't give it, I gave it like a six or a seven because I recognize the production that went into it. But I think it's more of a style thing that if you're not down with the style, you're just not going to love the approach, even though there's good acting in it. Yeah. And this guy's done, I mean, every single movie I feel like that Todd Haynes has done has some sort of, like he did that, he did that uh, Bob Dylan movie with like the five characters played Bob Dylan in that I'm still here, I think is what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. He did a weird movie with, called Safe with Julianne Moore from the mid '90s. That's just mm-hmm. bizarre. He's uh, he's he's definitely a unique a unique guy for sure. Dark Waters was really good. I like Dark Waters. Dark Waters was awesome. That's a great movie. Great so James, did you did you notice that this movie is on what's his face uh, Steven Schneider's 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die list? Oh wow! <laughs> no, but it is one of those movies that makes me realize how disconnected sometimes like film critics and you know film twitter can be from actually enjoying movies where it's like a movie about movies it's like oh i've fucking jerked myself off to this homage to a different time it's like (laughs) like are you enjoying this movie it's like oh no i'm not enjoying this at all but look it's just like so and so (laughs) did 40 years ago this one (laughs) wall street journal critic uh by the name of Joe Morgenstern, I will say, what a name. I, as I was watching this movie with my wife, like we're both just looking at each other like, what the, f- like, is this on purpose? What's going on? And this, and so mid movie watching, as we're talking about potentially turning it off, I look up some of the reviews and 
all of them are glowingly positive. And the first negative one I come to is this guy uh, from the Wall Street Journal. And he <laughs> described it perfectly. So the actors move about this elaborate movie museum in a modified dream state as if living in the present while rooted in the past. And I was like, Yep, that nails it. He goes, but the strategy doesn't work. It's just an imitation of lifelessness. And I was like, all right, cool. So I'm not the, I'm not the only one you who bought a friendly. He did. Yeah, I was like, I'm not the only person who watched this movie. I was like, what the hell is going on? Like, I like we're talking about uh, prejudices of homosexuality and uh, women. Yeah, and racism and women not allowing themselves to even have thoughts about sexual feelings or having to repress those thoughts. And not there's no weight to like any of this. It's just like, wow, these are heavy topics. And it's like, oh, but uh, Dennis Quaid moved in with his boyfriend. They seem to be doing all right. They're going to get a divorce. It's like, dude, like what is going on here? Dude. Oh, man. So, James, I, I found an interesting breakdown, and I wonder if you can offer some insight to it. On IMDb, it breaks down the ratings. There's 45,000 votes. And in every category except 45 and over, men rated this movie higher than women. Mm. I find that interesting based on the discussion you guys are having. Does that surprise you at all? Uh, substantially. It, yes. Substantially. Yes. yes. Every, every category except 45 and over. Genuinely shocked by that. To James, to your point about awards and critics and stuff, I mean, this movie was nominated for four Oscars. Oh Julianne Moore, Todd Haynes for screenplay, cinematography, and music. Nominated for two SAG awards and overall won over 100 awards and an additional 96 nominations. One thing I'll take from your review, James, is that famed cinematographer Edward Lockman really nailed this one. And I think we can all agree <laughs> cinematographers are underrated. Here's my trivia question for all of you guys as I look at the awards page. There's like 200 total nominations for this movie. How many of them were for Dennis Haysbert's acting? None. Zero. Uh, I bet. There's, there's a couple. It's, not, really? it's more than zero. Okay. Yeah. It's probably an ensemble award. <laughs> no, it's they're supporting nominations okay. from different circles. You mean to tell me there's you said two hundred awards for this movie? Nominations. Yeah. Hundred <laughs> wins. Two hundred nominations. Well, the the answer is five. Five okay. so out of two hundred, five are for Dennis Haysbert, but most of them are Quaid or Julianne Moore. Lockman. I thought that would be an interesting way to kind of sum that one up to see of all this fanfare where Haysbert fit into the mix with all of that. Well, James, that's an, it, that was an interesting conversation. It really was. Mm -hmm. All right, so 10 years until our next re uh, review, the big one there to start with, in 03, he starts his almost 20-year run as one of the voices for Allstate yeah. doing all the commercials, which... Legendary. Good hands. It's legendary. Everybody knows his voice because of the Allstate commercials. Yep, I think, that, I think we can safely say that that is what he's known most mm -hmm. these yes. days. It, it started off as the president in 24, but it is 100% now Allstate. Like when, when, if you go to our last pod, when you're I was like, I don't know who Dennis Haysbert is. And you're like, oh yeah, you do. And then I look at him, I was like, oh, the Allstate guy. Like the only, <laughs> the immediate thing that popped up. Yeah. The guy you see every 15 minutes on an NFL Sunday commercial. Yeah. Break, every, right? every big 10 network commercial is Dennis Haysbert. <laughs> <laughs> and we're saying this complimentary. We're not even saying yeah, yeah. Not shit no, the guy. It's ironic. It's legendary no. that how great he is. It's put his voice up in like the towards the Keith David Enchilon of like iconic voices because it's so deep, so it resonates and it you pick it out. When I say everybody, I think most people who watch television would know that voice. Oh yeah. 
Be, may not because, know his name, but know the voice. Because of the Allstate commercials, Haysburg doesn't get name dropped, but gets referenced and offend, essentially dissed in a Kanye West song. In the song. <laughs> I can't read the lyric. Uh, so the song is All Day. That's the name of it. It's All Day. And I can't read the lyric because every line of All Day ends with the N-word. But... <laughs> He Kanye calls him uh, a fake Denzel, essentially. Oh, oh, well, at least you know, he's at least on Kanye's radar. Yes, agent warned him that one day they might think you're a fake Denzel if you do these commercials. <laughs> I'll be honest, any comparison to Denzel, I would take as a compliment. And you I could tell me I'm a trash yeah. <laughs> Denzel. I'd be like, well, thank you. Yes, 100%. It's unfair to compare like anyone to Denzel at that level. You're comparing to one of the greats. So it's yeah. so you're saying I'm like Denzel. That's what I mean. <laughs> you are. Slightly. Okay. I'm in the same ballpark. That's um, right. Next couple of years, Sinbad, Legend of the Seven Seas animated film. He plays a character named Kale. One of his few video game roles, he's in Call of Duty Finest Hour. He narrates that. He's in an episode of Empire in 05. He's in the movie Jarhead as Major Lincoln, another one of those you know law enforcement authority figures. <laughs> he played Nelson Mandela in Goodbye Bafana in 07. It was a reasonable role, but kind of like some of the other roles we've talked about it it's not the most notable movie on nelson mandela but it is cool to see <laughs> his take on it. Uh, i noticed on his resume he mentions that he's trained in like stick fighting and martial arts and he gets to do that in a key scene in the movie with joseph oh. fiends so putting it to work baby isn't nelson mandela a little bit more passive of a person than that uh, Haysbert usually portrays. How does how does Haysbert play him in this? He plays him still pretty reserved, but like throughout the portrayal, do I think it's the best portrayal compared to say Idris Elba or Danny Glover or Morgan Freeman? No, but okay. still pretty reasonable. Damn, and he gets to share that honor of playing Nelson Mandela in a movie. So yeah, yeah that's, that's cool. Oh seven, <laughs> uh, a movie we talked about on the Lenny episode, Breach, one we like. I know Rigby and I like played Dean. Um, I think it's an FBI agent, right? Yep. Another another straight-laced law enforcement officer in this one. Arrest the bad dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a description you could put under his career. Arrest the bad dude. Arrest oh, Chris that's Cooper. <laughs> Most of them, yeah. And Chris Cooper's Russian spy self in that one. And then he makes a Broadway appearance in 2010's Race as Henry Brown, or in the, uh, Henry Brown is the play, I believe. So a little bit of stage work. It's not he's not born of the stage, but yeah, I dabbled with it for a moment. Based on all the episodes we've done now, I find it really impressive when film actors get into stage versus stage actors who get into film. I think the stage into film seems to translate a little bit easier and more naturally, where it's really difficult, it seems, for film actors to get into stage. So it's impressive that he took a swing at that. Really well said, because, yeah, it, it is a risk, not... Everyone who does film is equipped to handle the stage. You know, you only get one take. You don't get multiple takes. And mm-hmm. it makes me wonder if, you know, messed around with it in high school and college, but never went back to it after that point. And because so many of his movies, I guess, like you guys were stating earlier, kind of, especially Far From Heaven, kind of come off as recorded stage plays, you know, with good cinematography. So 
it makes you wonder if he just was always of that mindset but never got that opportunity or what but yeah i couldn't find anything in any interview stating his experience with any kind of theater so nope i think that's it he did it once from my, my understanding and then 2011, he's in The Details, a movie that we covered in the Laura Linney episode that I, t- went, I texted Cam about because I was like, my dude is great with a bow in that movie. Katniss Everdeen. Do you guys remember when I told you the film about Tommy McGuire and like this wacky story about like a rodent tearing up his backyard? And Casey were like, that movie sounds yes, awful. Yes, I remember that. I remember <laughs> that. That's this movie and Dennis Haysbert's character. Basically, Toby's like helping Haysbert's character out the whole time to what is what is he trying to do in his life, Cam? I forget. Uh, he that's right. Is like Toby, like I think he donates like a kidney to him or something. Yeah, he donates a and kidney to him to help him out, you know, not realizing what a psycho Toby is. <laughs> so Laura Linney plays the wackadoodle neighbor in that one. And she finds out <laughs> some dirt on Toby <laughs> McGuire and Dennis Haysbert literally fucking Katniss Everdeen's Laura Linney's ass with a bow and kills her for him. I was like, yeah, he's pretty good with the bow in that one. Yeah. But his, his character is kind of actually endearing in that movie. I will say it's, it's, there's a com- some compassion and empathy. Kung Fu Panda 2, the movie that Craig mentioned that made 600 plus million. He plays Master Ox, a smaller role in that one as a supporting character. He's in Love in 2012, followed by another animated role in Wreck-It Ralph as General Hologram. Another small role, but a fun movie. I like the Wreck-It Ralph, especially number two. I think it actually, one of the times when the second one's even better than the first one, in my humble opinion, personally. Yep, totally. I like what they did in the second one with the internet. And then 2013, he's in Life of a King. He plays kind of, he bookends the movie on the front and the back end as a prisoner who was with Cuba Gooding Jr., did you dig his speech? Like, I li- I like this movie and I like his character. And I I actually texted this group and said if you guys want a, a like a feel good movie before we record, you should watch Life of a King with Cuba Gooding Jr. It was gritty, but it didn't feel ring as false or rushed in the narrative. And it just that line where he says is like I'm dead in here. Mm-hmm. I'm dead outside of the world, but I'm alive in here, you know, like spiritually. And it's like, yeah, it made you wonder how many ex-cons actually that's what keeps him going. I don't think James would like this movie, to be completely honest. <laughs> James, what I know about your the th- the reason you hate things from like Yorgos Lanthimos is probably the reason why you wouldn't like this, because the whole film is a big metaphor about how life is like a chessboard. And they hammer home that metaphor throughout oh, every yes. piece of the movie like Cuba Gooding Jr. is teaching them about how you need to live as a king and you don't want to be one of these pawns that like drug dealers are using then getting taken off the board and so it's like an inspirational story about how he's teaching a bunch of inner city kids how to play chess how to like rise out of their poverty and situations but it's they hammer home that metaphor over and over again. Yeah. 40 minutes in, are you like, Oh, Oh cool. I like the chess metaphors. That's great. And then an hour and 40 and you're like, enough with the fucking chess metaphors. (laughs) That is enough. Probably. Yeah. If you stick through it, it's inspiring in a lot of ways. So it'll, it'll get you from, from that standpoint. But Dear White People is the largest critic app in 2014 and Rigby has it. So Dear White People is a 2014, I guess you can call it a dark comedy. Um, I had never seen this movie before and I'd actually, I had heard, I think I had heard about the TV series on Netflix before I, before I had even heard of the movie. So I was surprised that, I was surprised that this was actually a feature film. Dennis Haysbert plays Dean Fairbanks at a 
fictional Ivy League college called Winchester Winchester University. And the college is a predominantly white Ivy League college, but where the name gets the or where the movie gets its name is from the main character Sam, who hosts a alternative sort of underground radio show called Dear White People, where she frankly discusses controversial topics such as such as race in a very forthcoming way and very honest way. The show itself is controversial and it kind of divides the campus. And where Dean Fairbanks comes in is he's like a no nonsense dean in in helping and trying to get the show reined in. There's a famous scene where where he calls in Sam to his office and he says your show is racist and he and Sam all, then explains why black people can't be racist and gives like a, <laughs> a history lesson. So just one of those moments that like you you one of those kind of movies that has you know a pretty controversial topic and it examines it in a lens that's you're not really familiar with and so i thought i thought that was very unique it's a it's a pretty it almost reminded me of like an adam mckay movie because there's so many like gimmicks in it that like you Mm -hmm. know there's like on-screen graphics and like weird flashbacks and just like you know scenes where people are in like slow motion and stuff uh haysbert is good in this as another authority figure who ends up sort of having a change of heart and and developing along the way but yeah he's he's a small role his son plays the bigger role in this his son is a famous or a um an up-and-coming political i think he's running for like i want to say it's like college president in this movie or something like that so he's got he's got political ambitions and dennis haysbert has to balance his job with with supporting with with his son in in the movie so yeah i mean i is this movie as good as the critics gave it. I probably wouldn't say so. I didn't hate it. I actually didn't mind uh, sitting down to watch all of this, but not as good as I think. I, I think on Metacritic, it's like in the seventies. I want to say, and I think that's a little too high. It's ninety-one on Rotten Tomatoes. Ninety-one on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, to sixty-one for audiences. Yeah, I think that's too high. I'm definitely more on the audience side here. I really like Tessa Thompson. I didn't realize she played the main role in that. She's great. Yeah, she is awesome. She's, She's really such a fit that. for that role. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I, I'd have to look a little bit into it, but I know that he was not a part of the TV series. If I'm no, not he's not. No. Yeah. No, he does. He does the job well in that movie. What I like about this movie is the nuance that they gave Tessa Thompson's character of like dating a white guy, but having to be like this militant activist and her dealing with the other black students and trying to like keep that secret. Right. It's a secret relationship. Yeah. Like I just think that that nuance is so fascinating because it's real for a lot of those kids at these like high the so I, I felt like it was pretty realistic and talking about like race issues on campus and Dennis just plays like the archetype of what you're gonna see at these schools right I think that's one of the most fascinating things about movies uh, about this movie clearly they made it in a TV show is that even someone who considers themselves like super proud, liberal, and woke, you watch something like this and there's just these little nuances of the everyday experience that black people go through that you're like, oh, I could, I had no idea that was even something you had to deal with as an issue and I would have no idea what to do in a scenario like that, like you just mentioned. All right, so the rest of 2014, a couple more crossovers with other actors we covered. So Mr. Peabody and Sherman played the judge in a movie with Allison Janney and Stanley Tucci and then he was in Think Like a Man 2 as Uncle Eddie in a movie that crossed over with Regina Hall. Not the first time he's done something with Regina Hall either. But the other big one in 2014, again, busy year, 
is Sin City a Dame to Kill For, a movie that Craig had mentioned earlier. From my understanding, he played a role that was originally Michael Clark Duncan, right? In the, the first Sin City. Yeah. He passed, right? Right. Correct me if I'm wrong. He passed. Correct. And so he took over the role for him. You are correct. That's interesting. I didn't know that. We'll say his character is pretty underused because, to be fair, the character itself in the last movie was underused. I, I do think he did kind of have an idea. He had big shoes to fill. And so he's mm-hmm. just as intense. If anything, he tries to be a little more intimidating, well, but not as in your face as Duncan. But he's still just trying to be just, again, an intimidating, violent bodyguard role. Yeah, underutilizes 100%. I would agree with that. I mean, I forgot JGL's in this movie. Like, I just, yeah, it doesn't even really ring with me, but he's he plays a pretty major role in this one. 2015, I will confidently say, I think this is the best Dennis Haysbert movie I watched the whole time, and that was Experimenter. He plays Ossie, a character who looks like Don King in the movie, but it's, it's a story about Stanley Milgram, the, the famous psychologist who is the exact re- reason internal rev- review boards exist in the world of psychology because he, uh, because of his obedience experiment. Isn't he playing Ozzie Davis in a scene with a guy playing William Shatner and mm-hmm. playing a movie yeah. Yeah. experiment? Right? So yeah. like the guy, he's the dude playing the dude playing the dude. <laughs> uh-huh. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot of layers there. He's not big in it, but the movie itself is pretty solid. So is this the second time he's played a real-life person? The first being Nelson Mandela? Yeah, there are probably a few more in there, maybe. I don't know. Pedro Serrano played for the Indians. <laughs> Ted, too, he has a really funny scene as the fertility doctor <laughs> where Ted's girlfriends talk about, you know, he's telling them that she can't have kids. And they show, you guys remember, they show like the x-ray of her womb and it's like a normal womb. And then hers is just like scattered with like white and darkness. <laughs> she goes, is that, no- that's normal, right? You've seen that all the time. He goes, never. I've never seen that. <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> and Ted's like, "Come on, honey, it's like it's gonna be okay." He goes, "No, it's not. It's not gonna be okay." <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. One of the Don't few funny roles from uh, from him that I've seen. So he's he's really leaning into the kind of the the serious hard ass role in a comedy for the first time. Yes, like a kind of the dry straight man. I yes. wish he did this more because it's like a thirty second scene. It's hilarious. But he just doesn't do it much. This and Baby, 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 he did back-to-back, yeah. and it seems like at this phase, he's in Adam West mode, where he's saying something, you know, yeah. straight-faced, and yet still just being very playful. Good call. Yeah. 2016, makes an appearance on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, great show. 2017, the Bomberoo that Cam talked about earlier, Dark Tower, alongside Idris Elba. Did he play Idris's dad, right, in that movie, I believe? I remember. Uh, fuck it, we're not going to talk about it anymore. Um, he plays Ed Harris's manager in Kodachrome, a movie that's on Netflix that I rewatch and really enjoy. Jason Sudeikis, Lizzie Olsen. Um, again, he's not the main reason it's a decent movie, but Ed Harris is so fucking good in this movie. So if you're an Ed, Ed Harris fan, I think it's a must watch. And then finally, Naked, James's favorite movie from our Regina Hall episode. He plays Reginald. Yeah, I when I saw this like as something he was in, I was like, I watched this whole movie and I do not remember who this man was in this movie because mm-hmm. this movie's terrible. <laughs> yeah. I didn't. I didn't go back and watch it, but I because I was already tortured enough once to watch it for no, the Regina Hall. I didn't either. But I'm assuming she, uh, if I remember correctly, 
he is Regina Hall's dad. Yeah. Correct. Yep. Yes. And, and yeah, there you go. All right. Last review is largest audience gap. It is 2019's Playing with Fire, a John Cena special. And, <laughs> and at least he wasn't invisible. No. <laughs> He's got a funny character. In case we'll talk about it. Well, let's just start out by identifying that this is not a plot driven movie. If if you're (laughs) tuning into this movie, (laughs) trying to put it in a kind of an Oscar bait criteria, you're going to be wildly disappointed. That being said, Playing With Fire is a 2019 family comedy. I will say that I'm going to unfairly critique this movie because I'm a huge fan of Keegan-Michael Key and Judy Greer. I'm a big fan of John Cena and John Leguizamo. So when that's the primary cast of a movie, it's an easy watch for me and I like it. It's the easiest way to describe that. The basics of this movie are this. John Cena plays a character named Jake Carson, who is a commanding officer of a remote California group of smoke jumpers, not firefighters, smoke jumpers. Cena is an ambitious smoke jumper who wants to climb the ladder and ultimately be the division commander. The ladder is smoke jumping. Yes. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Pun intended, right? The division commander is currently played by Commander Richards. He doesn't have a first name. It's Commander Richards. And that is Dennis Habert's character. And he has announced he's retiring. And he's going to be evaluating Carson and his crew to see if John Cena's and his group would be a good replacement when Commander Richards retires. The firehouse is turned upside down when they're responsible for the welfare and safety of three children when they're rescued from a cabin fire early in the movie. Needless to say, hijinks ensues. When the children, with their reckless and adorable ways, threaten to ruin John Cena's opportunity to impress Haysbert when he comes to evaluate the superintendent and his crew. The movie, frankly, is an, is, it's an easy and delightful watch. Everyone delivers what you think they would deliver based on past performances. Haysbert doesn't have a massive amount of lines and scenes in this movie. You know, with his iconic voice and standard badass stoic character... He nails what he's asked to do, and, and he helps the movie forward, and he doesn't look out of place, and he doesn't do anything to hurt the movie. And, and like everybody else, he, he just kind of delivers what you'd expect him to do. So, I, again, I found it, a, it was an easy movie to watch. It was fun to watch, and that's, that's all I'll share, and I'll, I'll leave it up to you guys to, to fill in the gaps if anything I missed. The scene with Dennis Haysbert where he's, like, working out and doing his, like, fight prep. Yeah, he's, like, doing pull-ups while a guy's punching him in the stomach while he's talking to John Cena about, like, what he's what to do and how to manage one of these. I I laughed pretty hard at that. And I, I was like, man, I wish he did more stuff like this. Yeah, it was good. Like, it's just a fun <laughs> character. You know, we talk about, you know, Ted, too. He's that serious, hard-ass character, le- you know, leaning into the straight man role. And uh, <laughs> he, he, he delivers on this in, in a bigger and a bigger helping. Chase, looking at the gap, audience 77, critics 24, where do you fall? Oh, audience, without a doubt. <laughs> I'd probably be closer to a 70. I would definitely rate this a lot higher than a 24. See what you did there? A 24. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 23 in the last episode. Now we're just on to 24. Damn. <laughs> you convinced me with that review. I got to watch this now. All right, so to kind of round this thing out, that that's all the major film stuff. I mentioned earlier, he had a lot of recurring characters in his career, so I want to create some space and time for that to dig on some of those. Because while he's done a lot on the film side, we mentioned 24, but there's a lot more that he's done character-wise on TV that is worth noting. So the early stuff, he was an off-the-rack as Cletus, 84 to 85. And then just the two of us, he plays Coach Dwayne Johnson 
from 88 to 89, <laughs> which I thought was fun after James's trivia piece last time. Uh, <laughs> oh, shit. A big I one. I just put it together now as you said it. Dwayne Johnson, spelled differently, but still Dwayne. And then one of his big ones was Return to Lonesome Dove in 93. He played Jack. Really villainous role in that. That was a big miniseries back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. Now and again, another one of his big ones, one of the few where he's gotten some awards love. He got a Saturn Award for Best Genre TV Supporting Actor, 99 to 2000, played Dr. Morris. I'm just going to have to take your words for it on some of these. I have never heard of these shows before. It's because they always lasted each, just a single season or miniseries. So. He has other ones that are like big ones, but these are the ones that I noticed had like reviews, like decent reviews and stuff online. It's like Static Shock. 01 to 03 Justice League 01 to 03 was the first to play Kilowog from the Justice League. Who's Kilowog? He's the ape. Like an ape. Oh, okay. Daddy. Yes, yes. Now I know what you're talking about. Okay. The unit, a role that Cam has mentioned a few times, 06 to 09, plays Jonas. Uh, that pretty much helped rescue him out of the ballpark after being typecast on occasion as the soldier. He's like, now he gets to do a soldier role, but actually he there's some meat to the role and the whole thing is was scripted by you know playwright David Mamet. So okay. unlike Battle Dogs, which is a terrible oh, fucking movie, and I watched God. it in the background today. That's I gave it a two. No. It's so bad. The scene a two out of ten or two out of a hundred. Two out of ten. Oh, it was really really bad. The scene where he's being stabbed by the fake looking uh, dog, oh. and it looks like for a split minute, you know, he's just. He's just reacting to the cheesy-looking effects guys. He's breaking character. Backstrom, 2015. Undercover, 2016. Incorporated, I know, is one of his bigger ones, 2016 to 17. Is Uncover, he plays Rudy. Does he play a defensive lineman in that? Fortunately not. He gets to play a guy in a coma. <laughs> and Cam knows. It, <laughs> all fairness, did one hell of a job because he has the only. he's only able to act with his mouth. And his hand. Well, interesting. Vince Vaughn doesn't throw a flea flicker touchdown in this one. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Thank you, Rigby. <laughs> uh, Reverie 2018. Lucifer, which is another big one for him. He plays God in 2020-21. That's the first one so far that I've heard of. You've heard of that group? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's the first one since then. And then lastly, Masters of the Universe Revelation. He plays King Grayskull. Most recently here in 2021. I see how he's now the announcer for Meet the Press. That's right. I, I, you mentioned it earlier, but it's just interesting how it's like, hmm. it's like he's doing Allstate, but now he's narrating him. And it's like, so no shortage of narration. He's nope. doing all these like, right. So in, in May of 2021, is that what maybe when he became the narrator? And that's why he had such a spike? Yeah, uh, it's so. possible. Let's dig in to some top performances, and we're doing things a little differently this time, boys, and Rigby's going to tell us why. There wasn't an established list for his top performances that I could find, unfortunately. Oh, boy. Is that the first time that's happened? Yeah, I think it is. It is. We're about to be the definitive. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to be the definitive. (laughs) The source. Did Chris O'Dowd have a top five list? Yeah. Even like people that didn't have like like an article written about him, I found some like obscure YouTube video, and for this, it just didn't exist. It was bizarre. I tried to, um, I couldn't find anything. So what I what I wanted to do was just have each of us, and again, there's going to be some overlap, but I think we can make the definitive Munson list right here. So I think we can just give our favorite Dennis Haysbert roles, maybe top three TV and film, because obviously his TV career is is a is a major part of of his of his uh, his catalog. But I'll start with Heat as number three. Talked about it earlier. His performance in this is is heartbreaking. 
um, sort of the the character that you actually end up rooting rooting for almost the hardest in this. Even even with Al Pacino trying to catch a uh, a world famous thief, you end up rooting for Dennis Haysbert because you're like, don't get involved in this, and you know he's going to anyway. Second is twenty four, just because I feel like that is his in terms of his screen roles. I think that's probably the one he's no- most notable for. One that's not the Allstate commercial, <laughs> and then number one for me, just because it's a movie that I hold so close to my heart, is Pedro Serrano and Major League. Even though Major League Two and Back to the Miners are stinkers. I'm understanding of him doing it for the paycheck, but he just established himself so well in the first one. And he's like the second, you know, top build in that movie. And also like the second funniest character in a movie that I find to be one of the funniest ever. So those are my top three Dennis Haysbert performances. I think you nailed it. Uh, My list is slightly different. Number three is 24. You know, that show was on forever. Um, That is what most people who are huge fans of his will know him from. Number two, is Major League. That was where my mind immediately went. Again, a classic. And number one is the Allstate commercials because that is the only thing that comes to mind when I think of Dennis Haysbert. And so I would have to include that as numero uno. When when I got to the other two, I was like, oh, right. Also, those movies rock. And that show was very successful. I'm going to change it up on you guys a little bit. And I'm going to say, obviously, those would be my same top three. If we were to try to create a top five, I would offer, we would want to include Love Field and The Unit. My heart really wants to do Playing With Fire, but I realize that that would just be irresponsible as a critic. So I would say The Unit and Love Field might round out a good top five. So you guys have pretty much all summed up all the highlights of his roles. So I'm just going to mention just three other ones. His last three recurring TV roles, Incorporated, Reverie, Lucifer and just all these roles you know were just key characters that were hinted at and you know on all of those he finally was able to play a character which he wasn't used to playing you know after years of again just small little witty or authority figure roles incorporated he got to play a future cop who's essentially committing war crimes reluctantly for a giant corporation in the future Reverie, he got to play an unusual executive, sing out a virtual reality program, and uh, Lucifer, I mean, he played God, but it was such an unusual portrayal of that character for that see Vertigo comic adaptation, and you all have said in all his other roles, is like, these, these felt like these were actually tailored for him, as opposed to all these other ones which we talked about, which just felt like they could have been played by anyone, or you know, were a good performance in need of a better script or limited by the amount of screen time where it's just like, well, good or bad, it's too brief a role to really count as, you know, a role that you'd pick out. My only add, because I agree with the top four being Major League 24, Love Field and Heat would be the details. I really like his character and the details and I would give it consideration for top five. Um, to James's point, if all states involved, that's probably there. But also, I was going to say, how, I was going to say, how do you not put all states? It's, it's, really, it's not really like it's a TV insulted. role. Yeah, what's the name of his character? It's not a, it's not a true role because he doesn't have a character he's, name. He's the good hands. <laughs> you're in with all states. Mr. Good hands. Mr. Good hands. Yeah, okay. Good. All, right, then, all right. Well, then that's my number six. Okay. <laughs> there we go. Maybe this could be. To Cam's point, Dennis, even though we haven't seen, okay, I'm going to say we, I'm not going to speak for Cam. Cam's seen a lot of this. <laughs> uh, 
most of us haven't seen a lot of his TV stuff. He does that much TV because he's good at it. Yeah. So I think he's got he's got a decent number of characters that he's done over the years, and yeah. he keeps getting jobs because he's good at that. All right, well, let's get into the Munson meter. What we do here in Munson meter is we score every actor on a scale of 0 to 100 based on a variety of factors. Those factors can include longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, acting range, their awards footprint, any other talents, personal life, comedic chops, boss office success or lack thereof, and anything else that matters to us as Munson's. So this time we will start with Case. I'm always heavily slanted because of the box office metrics. I do realize that is a prejudice that I have. <laughs> Here's a couple of points that, that I think about with Haysburg. You know, number one, he's been in the game a long time and late in his career even, he continues to get important roles like Cam was just talking about. He's getting like massive amounts you know like in the unit he was in over 60 episodes in lucifer he's playing god i mean that's a pretty important role in in the lucifer story right he's got an iconic voice here's where it starts to get a little bit choppy though you know he's either hasn't taken on or he maybe hasn't been given a wide range of roles and that's just something that i don't know and, and we don't know uh, but nonetheless, when we have to compare him to other actors, you have to take that into consideration. And then finally, you know, we, we've alluded to it. His, his a, awards <laughs> footprint is pretty limited. You know, he hasn't had a lot of recognition for that, despite, I think, turning in some, some pretty impressive roles. With all of those things into consideration, I'm going to give him a 66. Cool. All right, next is James. When it comes to name recognition, it is not there. And mm -hmm. what I find interesting, though, is when it comes to pop culture impact, it is kind of there, just not without the name. Like, I, like Kanye mentions him as the Allstate guy, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, I agree. That's the Allstate guy. And, like, you see him and you're like, oh, yeah. And then you remember of the other roles you know him from. But he has had that cultural impact. Originally, it was as the president of 24. And I think which, how long that show went on and how successful it is. I will give him a ton of credit for that. I do not fault someone becoming a spokesman because, you know, go get your money. I respect that move <laughs> 10 times out of 10. Amen. Yeah, it's, he's been doing that for 20 years. I guarantee he is doing just fine. Yeah. <laughs> but when it comes to, like, range... I don't know. I didn't really see it that much. I think, Craig, you brought up an interesting point about potential roles being given to him, not providing a lot of range. That could be true. But uh, longevity is there. But other than that, I just wasn't that impressed, man. And as I was going through, it's like even the movies that everyone's like, oh, these are great. I'm like, nah, they're not that great. I do love Major Leagues, but he was, you know, he was just a side character in that movie. And yes, absolutely, yes, some of the best scenes. But he still wasn't the lead in that, and I unfortunately will have to give this dude one of the lower scores I have, which is a 53. Am our guest Munson. We've all said before, it. he was a very difficult to pin down actor, so for me it pretty much just comes down to nostalgia and what range I've seen him in. But it is also, I think the biggest issue with him is most of his movies haven't been widely seen because they were either find him on youtube or through like region two in the case with one movie that i had to track down in the <laughs> range we see him in you know, it's here and there but for the most part they often just wanted to be just a narrator so a lot of the stuff we've seen him in it's unfortunately just not widely available and fortunately uh yeah he's a total loser when it comes to the box office it doesn't his name is not going to generate 
you go out and watch his movies. And yet, again, just his TV work just won out for me on this. He's pretty much the Black Martin Sheen. <laughs> you can do all this rubbish. You can do all this interesting stuff, supporting roles, and then you get to play the president on TV. <laughs> and then, Ooh, yeah. So uh, he's now basically at the fifth stage of his career, and he's just finally getting bigger roles. So I don't know if he fired his agent or what, but he's my Philip Seymour Hoffman. I'm giving him a 95. 95. Damn. <laughs> I check out. <laughs> that is ridiculous. It is, but Damn. I check out anything he's in anytime, every time. Oh, that's awesome. I did not see that coming. No, I did not either. Damn, you gave Keith David a 75. I know. I'm a bastard. That's awesome. Damn. <laughs> I was looking at the right the whole time, and Cam just hit me in the face with the left. <laughs> Controversial. I know. I, can't I feel guilty this. on the show every week for giving people too high a scores. I'll never feel guilty. Months and meter counts. Easily the biggest gap by far. Oh, baby. Easily. That oh. Danny Trejo gap just got eclipsed quick. Yeah, yep. <laughs> All right. All right. All right, Cam. I see you, bro. I see you. All right, Rigby, you're up. Yeah, well, I, I'm definitely not giving him a 95, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> oh. But I'm also... Oh. 96 is in the running. No, fucking Cam chose violence today. He came yeah, in here and said, fuck you guys. Yeah, he did. You brought I me like in. I'm giving him a 95. To... Yeah, so I'm, I'm not going to give him a 95, but I'm not going to give him a 53. <laughs> um, I'm with... Uh, with you guys in that he his range is obviously pretty self-apparent that uh, or it's pretty apparent that he doesn't have much range um we talked about how he has played basically a mix of like law enforcement slash authority figures far from heaven would really sort of be the only deviation that comes to mind from that major league he gets major points for me just because that's one of my favorite not only is it one of my favorite sports movies but it's one of my favorite movies i mentioned that two and three suck and but (laughs) I wish he wouldn't have been a part of it, but I can also, like James said, I can appreciate the hustle and, and just wanting to, to get paid for it. It's funny, if he wasn't the Allstate guy, I feel like he'd get a lower score, but there has to be some some cred that goes that I throw his way just because he is... People might not know his name, but kind of like Keith David, they know his voice and they know his like personality and his persona. So I think there's something to be said about that. But So all, all things considered, I'm going to give him one of my lowest scores, and that's a 64. That is a low score for you, for sure. That's it's getting close to Chris Tucker territory. One point above. <laughs> I'll round us out. So despite I, I don't have much more to add other than just a few of my own opinions. And that's despite his lack of name recognition, his voice iconic. He's a steady, dependable force in pretty much any role you put him in. Yeah. But I don't think he is a particularly dynamic or compelling performer. I told that to Cam by a text earlier this week. He disagreed with me and that's OK. But I just, you know, we watch some actors and the way they're able to command the screen and steal scenes or share scenes equitably with other people like Dennis gets brought in to do a job. He does the job well, but I'm not going to go out of my way to watch a movie because Dennis Haysbert is in it. Just yeah. to be completely honest. So that's that's me. Others can be super excited about him, but that's just not my, <laughs> my will. He has virtually no awards footprint. His range is very limited. I wish he played more wacky and funny characters because I know he can do it. He just chooses not to. He stays safe with his his role choices. And that's, you know, good. more power to him. Get your bag, right? Get your bag doing what you're good at. And he's, you know, he's an older guy, so I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of new stuff from him that he hasn't done before. But maybe I'm wrong. Playing with fire is relatively recent, so maybe we'll see more stuff like that. But he will get a little bump from me for Pedro Serrano because I think that is a very memorable character. And, you know, a lot of actors don't have a, a character of that caliber in terms of memorability. So 
Um, But he is going to get one of my lowest scores as well, and I'm in James territory. I'm giving him a 55. (laughs) That a boy, Kyle. That's right, baby. (laughs) Say it with your chest. So uh, last call for changing scores before I go ahead and – you're sticking with that 95, huh? Cam's going to cancel all of us out, so we shouldn't feel bad at all. Ride or die. Okay. So with that, that gives Dennis Haysbert a 66.6. The devil's <laughs> number as God. That's weird. The devil's wow. fitting. Very fitting. Very fitting. And that puts him in 35th place, sandwiched between Bonnie Hunt and Gary Cole. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I don't love that he's above Gary Cole right now. I really, <laughs> even though I did compare the two. Yeah, I think it's a substantially higher than where I would have him ranked. If you love him, <laughs> that's important. The other two 95s we've seen on this podcast were for Brian Cranston from Dames and a 95 for Jamie Lee Curtis from Stephanie. If we're going to be honest to the numbers, his average fan ranking on his films is 33rd out of our, out of our <laughs> list. Get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Fan oh. rankings. His. His total was 50 out of 51, so we're, we've risen above that. Yeah. James, what does Dennis have coming soon? So uh, one, he has a movie coming up called No Exit, which looks like it's a thriller, but I do not see anyone else re- that I recognize in this movie. And his character doesn't have a name yet, but it looks like it's going to be like a <laughs> horror thriller. Could be cool. Remember, he ranked last on ours. He's the highest IMDb ranking in this movie. <laughs> So there you go. That's why I didn't recognize any of the other he's people. The key, he's the key actor. <laughs> Top of the call sheet. Silent Retreat, which is, look, again, doesn't look like it has too much information. What I wanted to get to is this last one, which sounds awesome. Uh, it's called Flamin' Hot, which Ooh. is the story of Richard Montanez, the Frito-Lay janitor who channeled his Mexican-American heritage and upbringing to turn Flamin' Hot Cheetos into an iconic snack <laughs> that disrupted the food industry and became a global pop culture phenomenon. This is directed by Eva Longoria. Yeah. And it is starring Tony Shaloub, Dennis yeah. Haysbert, Matt Walsh, who I think is hysterical. Yeah. All right. Well, he's got a couple things. So we'll see. We'll see what Dennis brings. See if he steps out of his comfort zone a little bit. TBD, that last one does <laughs> sound really interesting. It sounds fascinating. I will watch that for sure. At best, it'll be like the details. At worst, it'll be more forgettable than the Netflix movie he was in, Secret Obsession. (laughs) There you go. All right, so five actors for consideration on our next episode, which will land December 30th. It's going to bring back Sam Phillips, who was here before to talk about Dakota Fanning, who gave a a scathing review of The Cat in the Hat. Sam's coming back. All right. Warren's buddy. Yeah. Wait, Sam did the cat in the hat? Yeah, yes. dude. You know, yeah, you yeah. don't remember that? That was like one of the most epic reviews. Dude, yeah. I can't believe it. It was like review. 12 minutes long. It, we had to cu- we couldn't keep it all in. <laughs> <laughs> For the next episode, we're going to cover one of these five actors. So it's either Sid Haig, Steve Martin, Catherine Keener, Val Kilmer, or Luis Guzman. What do we like? Hmm. What do we dislike from that list? I think the one that would be the most odd, like the most unique compared to the other ones would be Sid Haig, who I only know mostly from Rob Zombie movies. <laughs> Recently passed, I believe. That TJ Hooker episode. I'd love to do, I'd love to do Steve Martin. I think that yeah, goes, I think goes without being said. One. Catherine Keener would be a ton of fun just so we can watch like 40 year old virgin and I mean, she's <laughs> yeah. in a lot of stuff, but that's she's a, in a lot of stuff. Mind. A lot of stuff. Luis Guzman is like every immature comedy from the yeah from the 2000s but also like in some talk about like waiting 
He's in some waiting right exactly. He's in uh, Boogie Nights. Yeah, I was about to say, wouldn't podcast favorite be Val so we could talk about the upcoming release of the MacGruber series on Peacock? Oh, hell wow. yeah. Tombstone, <laughs> man. That's my favorite movie of all time. Seriously? Yep. I mean, I love Tombstone. I was That's Kurt Russell, so this all it goes around. I'd give the most in-depth review of Heat you'd ever heard. <laughs> Ten straight minutes of Heat. <laughs> Steve Martin would be the funniest of the group, for sure, but I agree yeah. with you, James. Sid Haig would be the oddest one of the bunch, but would be interesting. Be different. Will you rank totally. like Trejo, or will he be? Yeah, I don't think we watch a lot of great movies on that front, but... no. Um, Luis Guzman would be funny too he's in some funny roles over the years as well so Cam if you had to pick one who would you pick uh, I pretty much with you guys I they're all very reasonable picks but I, I think yeah Guzman uh, a second year I think would find some very enlightening independent films and interesting dramas and you could even contrast if he's a good pick versus his charisma yeah. okay Luckily, Cam doesn't decide. Sam doesn't decide. Craig doesn't decide. The wheel decides. <laughs> the wheel decides. Cam, again, man, bringing the fire. You you bring a ton of expertise. I what I appreciate about doing this stuff with you is when I give most folks the streaming options a month out. That's like the start of their research. And for you, it's rounding out your research because you've seen like everything from that person up to that point. So any plugs about the show, any wise words of wisdom that you want to give to our audience? (laughs) No wisdom other than keep with your pals and tackling a franchise. Currently finishing up tackling the Star Trek franchise. We're going in waves with that. And we've taken on plenty of other cult franchises for movies and TV from Longmire to... Longmire's a great show, man. Exactly. Excellent show. And great show. To The Sopranos, to Law and & Order, and then with Trailer Park Boys, we'll be tackling with <laughs> your host, Kyle. But any franchise is pretty much up for grabs on the Jacked Up Review Show. It's like just tackle a restaurant or franchise or any form, other form of entertainment. Well, Cam, we, uh, we'll make sure we share links to the, the show. And we know you guys do a lot of really cool stuff over there. And it's impressive how much content you put out. So. Not as cool as you guys. Oh, what a guy. Yeah, man, it was a blast. Cam, thanks for joining us, dude. Oh, thank you. This was a fun ranking because it was just very unpredictable. It was like we're... And this is the fun of the show because... Yeah. Tackling the cult appeal versus the range versus the resume. So, mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So as we round things out, you can find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can find us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Dennis Haysbert? By casting me aside so quickly, you effectively lowered those standards. And that was a profound mistake. It was not, however, a mistake you're likely to make again. Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?